Welcome again to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now, on today's podcast, I have the privilege of sharing from God's Word as we look at the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Now, if you're looking for a church home, a place that you can connect with other believers and serve together and worship together, we'd invite you to check out Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville. You can find more information at calvaryfayetteville.com or give us a call at 479-442-4634. Again, on today's podcast, I have the privilege of sharing from Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, as we look at the idea of a revitalized church embracing the open doors of ministry. Let's listen together. Revelation chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 13. And I want to thank you. This past week, I had the opportunity to be at the, the Baptist Missionary Association of America National Meeting in Springfield, Missouri. Um, I got to see friends, and that's always an exciting part of it for us. You develop relationships at Bible college and seminary, and, and you run into those people at, at those meetings. Um, but what was so exciting was Wednesday night was our missionary commissioning service. It's always exciting to, to see that men and women are still surrendering their lives to missions, to go to different places in the world, different parts of the country, to share Jesus Christ with people. And so they take a moment during that Wednesday night service. That's really what it's all about, is for them to pull those missionaries on a stage, to pray over them, to let them share their hearts with us as, as we see where God is pointing them. And so I, uh, again, just so appreciate that opportunity. Pa- Pastor Kirk has been at Together for the Gospel this past week in Kentucky, uh, which is another outstanding conference. Um, I would have loved to have gone, but it was the same week as our, our national meeting. It is the last one for that specific conference, and they're going to be moving on to different things. But um, just pray that God will use the things that we've both been exposed to over this last week to just shape and mold us into the men that God wants us to be. Well, we're looking at Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. It's on page 1029 of your Pew Bible, and as we always share, if you don't have a Bible, take that Pew Bible with you as our gift to you. Um, This morning we're going to talk about seizing the open door, looking for those open doors in ministry. Now, Revelation 2 and 3 are passages that deal with the subject of church revitalization and renewal. We've been talking about this now for what seems like months, and it actually has been months since I started this series. We began it, I want to say, last August, and just as I had opportunity, I was going to share a message. We have one more church to go, maybe one, maybe two messages, and so we'll see. There's one that I'm thinking about for a, a, a one to wrap everything up, uh, but today we're looking at church number six in these seven churches. In these two chapters of Revelation, churches are praised, they're condemned, they're encouraged to change. The great need for awareness in church revitalization and renewal is modeled as Jesus points out both the high and the low points of each church. And so I want us to take a quick journey to play catch up. Maybe you missed some of those. You can always go back to our podcast, and I believe all of these made it on there. And so this is a way for us to just talk about these churches in Revelation 2 through 3. The first church that Jesus addressed uh, through the Apostle John in the book of Revelation was the church at Ephesus. 
There Jesus shared that a church needed to return to its first love. There were good things that they had been doing, but to fix where they were at, they needed to point their hearts to Jesus. So the first thing a revitalized church is, it's a church that loves God wholeheartedly. The second church that Jesus addressed was a church at Smyrna. Jesus shared, do not fear. He wanted to encourage them as they were about to face difficult times. So we need to understand the revitalized church, a church that has experienced renewal, is a church that places faith over fear. Looking at the third church that Jesus addressed in Revelation, it was the church at Pergamum. And we saw the truth that a revitalized church is a church that embraces the truth of God's Word. So as we step through these, my prayer, my hope is that these are things that we're embracing, that we're taking to heart, that we are making sure that our church is molding ourselves to God's Word. When we looked at the fourth church addressed in Revelation, the church at Thyatira, we learned that a revitalized church is a church that perseveres through the difficult times. Last time we looked at the seven churches, we looked at the church at Sardis. We saw that a revitalized church is a church that is awake. And today we find ourselves on the sixth church of our series, the church at Philadelphia, and we'll be investigating this truth, that a revitalized church is a church that embraces God-given opportunities. So let's look at our text. Revelation chapter 3. Verses 7 through 13. There the Bible says this. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown." The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the encouragement, the correction, and the exhortation that we find there. I just ask in these moments that you help us to focus on who we need to be as a body of believers here in Fayetteville and all of Northwest Arkansas. God, we need your direction. We need your strength. We need all the things that you provide because we cannot and we don't want to do it on our own. So help us to lean on you. We trust you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last time that I spoke, I shared over the last two years, a new piece of language has developed in church leader circles. It's the phrase pre-COVID. You see, at meetings like the BMA of America, which I just returned from, 
the question inevitably arises how things are going in your church. And it's very, very well intended. They, they are asking, how is life at, at Calvary and Fayetteville? How are things going? And they ask because they care, but that leads to a question that is always, well, how many people are worshiping? Now, it's not a perfect metric to measure the health of a church, but it is one of the most visible signs of how your, big your church is or the ministry is. But Pastor Kirk has taught us that numbers are not a clear indicator of our success or as a failure in ministry. But how we live out faith, hope, and love, that's what it boils down to. But it still doesn't change the, the question from other pastors. And as we ask, answer now, well, we're currently running this, but pre-COVID, we were running that. And that's still a part of our language, and it's going to be. Recently on the, the podcast that I do for the youth department, I talked with a counselor about the issue of COVID and how it's affecting students and emotionally. And there is a reality that is going to be impacting our schools and our student ministries for years to come because of these two years of a different life. It's the same with the church. There are things that we will be facing for years to come because of this difference. Now, as I've shared before, around 40% of, 40 of churchgoers decided the church attendance was not important enough to invest in. They have stepped away. Some are coming back. Some aren't. And many are calling this the death of cultural Christianity. And for those you have never heard that term, cultural Christianity is the approach to church life that says, I go to church because that's what society expects. And it's beneficial to me as a cultural norm. That expectation is no longer pressing, so many have decided to simply set it aside. And I'm so thankful for you who are here because you have said church life my life with other believers, with my faith family, that's important. It's significant to you, to your spiritual development, and to your family. You know, we have work to do here. We have choices to make about who we're going to be as a people. And going ahead and forward, we need to understand the warnings, the exhortations, the correction that we find in Revelation 2 through 3. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted us to spend time with it. Understanding who we need to be. You know, I'm very hopeful about the future of Calvary Baptist Church. I look forward to days when our children's church space, the, the worship that's going on down there, that it's so big that we need extra people and we can divide it into different age groups. I look forward to a day when that nursery is full again. I hear about times in years past where it was just, there were so many kids you didn't know what to do. And I don't want that because I want us to be big and so we can brag. I want that because that represents families that are being changed by the gospel. That means lives are being changed by the gospel. So what does that mean for us? That means we need to reach out in love to see opportunities that God is providing, seize those opportunities, and to move forward with them. You know, for us to, to get to a that point, that envisioned future, we must look to the exhortations of Scripture and apply them to where we're at. That's why we're looking at Philadelphia today. That's why we've looked at Sardis in, year, in weeks past, and Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and Thyatira. And when I get the next opportunity, we'll look at the church of Laodicea. 
It's important for us to see these because in the messages to the seven churches, we've seen some familiar patterns. We've seen this idea of commendation, condemnation, correction, and consequences. However, that structure doesn't work with this church. And there's a big reason. The reason is that this is the church that receives no condemnation. There's nothing that Jesus says, you are doing this wrong. In fact, he celebrates how this church has been faithful. In fact, in verse 11, it says, hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. It looks through this passage, you, you understand, I know your works. Behold, there have been some good things happening. And so that's why this church and this message looks a little bit different. And so that's the reason we need to approach it in a little bit different manner. So let's start this morning by talking about the church at Philadelphia. Now, when we hear about this city, we immediately, I know I immediately, think about Philadelphia in our country. And I think about the name, the city of brotherly love. It's a name that's drawn from the original Philadelphia, a Greek word meaning philos, which describes that very thing, brotherly love, a love for brother, have one for another. Now, the city itself was situ situated in a strategic place on the main route of the imperial post from Rome to the east and even was called the gateway to the east. And see, this is important for us to know some of these details because these were points where the gospel was going to be spread. As the message is shared, it's taken with them from this place on to other places all around the world. Now, as Pastor Kirk put on your worship guide, there's some little facts about um, the, the Church of Philadelphia. He, he shared this one, that the city was also called Little Athens because of the many temples that were in this city. This was a place where people would celebrate spirituality. Not Christianity, but celebrate spirituality. Many places around our country are like that as well. Places where spirituality may be celebrated, but the name of Christ is not. Now, one of the other interesting things about this city and its people is that anxiety and worry were part of the culture. The location of the city was a problem for many. It was prone to earthquakes. After a huge earthquake that destroyed the city in 17 B.C., citizens refused to move back into the city proper and instead opted to live in the surrounding countryside. So they didn't actually live inside of the city. They did all of their business. They met with others. They did things in there, but they were afraid to actually live inside of the city because of the anxiety and the worry. So you find a place that is spiritually minded, a place where anxiety and care and concern and worry is, is rampant, and you find a place where the gospel could easily take root because people are ready. That's what we have to be looking for, are opportunities that we can share the gospel. And that's what this, you might call them a little church because there's a point where he says, I know you have little power, but what they did so let's look at the church and its faithfulness. Living in the city of brotherly love, the believers of this community allow love to motivate and drive their vision to their community. They looked around. They saw those things that I've already described, and they were concerned, and they wanted to share the gospel with them. Now, in verse 8, Jesus mentions their ministry in a very positive light. He says, I know your works. I always think it'd be great if you'd hear Jesus say, 
I know your works. Or if we hear the words, Calvary, I know your works. I know that one of my great desires of my heart is to hear Jesus say at the end of my life, well done, good and faithful servant. I think that should be our goal. That should be to hear Jesus utter those words, I know your works, and to celebrate that. Now later in the same verse, he mentions very matter-of-factly that the church has little power, but they have still kept the word and not denied the name of Jesus. This lack of power was not a lack of spiritual power but political and societal influence in the community. I think we can find solace and encouragement in what Warren Wiersbe shares about these people. It's not the size or strength of a church that determines its ministry, but faith in the call and the command of the Lord. It doesn't matter that Calvary once was a larger-sized church and now we're smaller. God cares about those because that represents people. But he celebrates this church of Philadelphia, who may have been small in size and small in strength, but he celebrated their faithfulness to the call and the command of the Lord. That needs to be our heart, that we are faithful to what God calls us to do. And if God never grows us over 100 again, God doesn't grow us to over 100. But if he does, then we can celebrate with others of what he has done. Verse 10, it states that they had a patient endurance during a time of testing and had proved faithful. I think about us and those that have endured the pandemic days and have proved faithful. As I said earlier, I am so thankful for you who are here, who have made that commitment to be a part of Calvary and understand the value and the importance of coming together and worshiping with other believers, how it is valuable to your spiritual life, how it is important to God that you have made it a priority in your life. Now, this little church, they overcame two obstacles to do the work of ministry. One, they had a little power. We've talked about that and whether what that looked like exactly, we, we've talked about. But two, they were outside, there was outside opposition from the Jews in the city. And like them, we face obstacles in pursuing faithfulness to the Father. The simple truth is this, that we can easily be drawn to the ideas that we are too small to have any major impact for the gospel. We can think that's who we are. That can become our reality. But we need to understand, God wants us to be faithful where we're at. And if that means here in our surrounding neighborhood, that means your neighborhoods at home, in your homes, with your family members, at your work, God is calling us to faithfulness wherever we're at. And two, we can allow the outside voices of the community to silence our voice. I often think that we live in a theologically liberal community. There's no doubt about it. When I talk to people about the different areas in Arkansas, you don't think of Fayetteville as being this stronghold for the gospel. It's, it's just not what we're thought of. We're thought of often as being a very liberal community. All of Northwest Arkansas has made that shift. But God has called us to be faithful, to speak the truth when appropriate, to share that and not be afraid of those things. Speaking the truth here in Fayetteville will only grow more difficult. But it's a task that God has given us here at Calvary to be his voice. Well, let's also look at the church and its future. 
Now, if we look at the Church of Philadelphia, because of the celebration that, that Jesus shares, he says, I know your works. He goes on to say that he will do some things. In verse 9, it says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. In that verse, we learn two truths. One, we understand that God has given a promise that those that have opposed the gospel, those that have stood against the gospel, ultimately will be defeated, that they will bow in submission to what they're sharing, the gospel message. And the second is that they understand that Jesus loves the church at Philadelphia. How encouraging is that to know that as they've faced difficulty, as they've faced trials, as they have faced this outside opposition, that Jesus loves them. And when those things happen, when this synagogue of Satan, those Jews that were lying, they will see that Jesus loved them all along. Now, the other thing we learn about the church and its future is that God will keep the church of Philadelphia from the hour of trial that is coming upon the world. Now, does this mean uh, the time of tribulation, the great tribulation that we talk about with the rapture? I'm not sure. But it does say that they are going to be pulled out. This church is going to be pulled out where they're not going to face that hard time, that extreme trial. And I think that that's important for us to know because as we look through Scripture, there are many times says you're going to face many trials. You're going to have hard times. You're going to face difficulty. Being a Christian is not a ticket to be punched and saying, I no longer have to face difficulty. In fact, a lot, and many of us who just finished the most reasonable faithful men and faithful women group that we've read uh, through the gates of splendor and, and learned about the Elliots and the difficulty that they faced because they stood for the gospel. Imagine if you're Elizabeth Elliot and your husband has died serving the Lord. That can't be easy. There was assurance because what he was doing and because of whom he believed in. But it's still difficult. But whatever the case, Jesus makes a promise here that he will keep the church of Philadelphia from the hour of trial that's coming upon the world. And the other thing that's mentioned about its future is in verse 12. It says, The one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. God will make known the name of the faithful church in the eternal what we do here matters for eternity's sake. I love that idea. I love that concept. And I love the promise that they are given here. You see, what we invest in is important to God. We've talked about it before. What do we invest in? Well, we invest in God's Word because that's eternal. And we invest in the souls of men and women because they're eternal. There are a lot of other things that we invest in. I don't know about you, but I have my whole list of things that I love to spend time with, things that I invest in, but they don't matter for eternity's sake. Those two things do. And knowing here that God is going to honor this group of people because they were investing in Him, because they were faithful, because they were serving, because they were holding on and holding fast to what Jesus had promised them. 
So as we understand more about this church at Philadelphia, we can see all sorts of things that, that are there for us to embrace and understand. But what I want us to see is a bigger lesson that we learn from verse 8. The lesson that we find from verse 8 is this, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Henry Blackaby, you may be familiar with the book, Experiencing God. Um, Henry Blackaby teaches that we should look for where God is working and then join him in that work. The simple truth is God-given opportunities lay before us. They're here. They're available. But do we have our open, eyes open for them? Are we ready for those things? <coughs> so the lesson is this, that God wants us to seize or embrace God-given opportunities. First of all, we must want God-given opportunities. I love Psalm 37.4. First, it was shared to me by a, a youth pastor. Well, it's many of you may know him, David Atterbury. I was at one of the encounter conferences, really trying to figure out what God wanted in my life. And I, I was talking with him, and he shares this verse of Scripture. He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When I first read it, I thought, oh, well, this means that if I am celebrating God, if I worship Him, if I'm studying His Word, that He's going to give me all those things that I want. But no, what He's going to do is change my heart to where my desires are going to be His desires. That's what we've got to do. We must want God-given opportunities here, and we must seek to have God's desires and not our own desires. If I asked for you to tell me what you want for Calvary, and I went around this room, we might have 50, 50 different answers. But when we slow down and ask what God wants, we'll find a much smaller selection of answers. We must have the want to if we hope to move forward as a body of believers. We can't just live in our comfort bubble and be happy. God doesn't want that for his people. The expectation has always been, as you're going into this world, make disciples. And it starts with the change of attitude. I, I love the, the skit guys. They have this great video. Um, I may have even shared it here before. I know I've shared it. The comfort bubble. You've got to look it up on YouTube. You'll find it. And it is just of these guy, this guy who has this giant bubble around him. Everywhere he goes, and he's comfortable in that bubble. Many of us find ourselves in that same place when we attend church. We're very comfortable. We have our, our same seats. I think I've sat in that same spot on the pew when I'm not up on here on stage. Probably every Sunday that I've been here. Maybe one or two other spots, but that's usually where I'm at. And I'm very comfortable there. If you told me I needed to sit somewhere else, I might feel very uncomfortable and try to figure out. Uh, for those of you who used to sit on the pews that we removed here, I'm, I'm sorry because I know that that was your comfort level. <laughs> and all of a sudden it was gone. But it's more, about, it's more than just where we sit and what we do. We come here because we feel good because we're around others. But God wants us to be uncomfortable. As we see these opportunities out here and we step out in faith and we have to lean on Him and we trust Him and He shows us what we need to do, who we need to speak to, who we need to love on, 
But it all starts with a change of attitude. Dr. Cliff Johnson, he's the president of the BMA of America. He's a pastor at Garrett Memorial Baptist Church. Pope tells his people to put their yes on the table. What do you mean there? Simple. That we say yes to God before we even know what he's asking. What does he want out of our lives? What does God want for Calvary Baptist Church? We need to be willing and ready to say yes for whatever that is. It's an attitude of surrender, telling God what I want. Well, I want what you want. I want your opportunities in my life, and I will follow you wherever you lead. So we start this process of seizing hold of God-given opportunities by changing our want to, by changing our attitudes. We must want God-given opportunities. The second is this. We must seek God-given opportunities. Think, well... God is going to show me those. Yes, he's going to, but the problem is we cannot just simply sit in our pew and those things just be revealed to us. We must do some certain things. Well, first of all, we must talk to God with the subject of prayer. Then we must listen to God as he speaks to us through Bible study. Now, there's one that we don't do a whole lot of and we don't talk a lot about in here. Uh, but the Bible talks very clearly that we are to pray, we're to read the Word, and we're to fast. You can fast from food. Some of you have done that before. You can fast from different things. I know that during Lent, some of you would fast from um, all sorts of different items. For many of us, it, maybe it needs to be social media. Maybe it's from certain shows we watch. Maybe it is from, from food items. But that's how we start hearing from God is when we pray, when we read the Word, when we fast, and then when we speak to God's people. God puts us together in community for a reason. He speaks to us through His people. So we must seek God-given opportunities, and we do that by praying, by studying the Word, by fasting, and then looking to those that God has placed in our life, especially in our faith family. The third thing that we need to do if we're to embrace God-given opportunities is we must act on them. So we must want them, we must seek them out, and then we must act upon them. The book of James is pretty clear on the subject. That we're to be not only hearers of the word, but doers also. When God gives us direction, we need to act. I don't know about you, but there are many, many times in my life where I've, I've been in situations that I know that I should have said something, that I should have connected with someone. I should have been there for them. It was clearly a God-given opportunity. The Holy Spirit had made that evident. And what did I do? I walked away. And you may have done the same thing. And it's heartbreaking after the fact because there are times you can never, well, you just can't. You can't go back in time to make those changes. But God wants us to act on those opportunities, to be a people of faith, to step out in faith, and to be doers of the Word. So how do we obey here at Calvary? How do we step forward as a body of believers? Well, the first is this. Calvary, we must make sure that our desires for Calvary are God's desires for Calvary. There are a lot of things that I like about church. 
And there are certain aspects of church that I would like to be a certain way. And again, all of these statements start with I. I would like this. This is great for me. But what does God want for the people here of Calvary and for our community on how we're going to reach them? So we've got to make sure that our desires for Calvary are God's desires for Calvary. We must always remember that as we gather and agree here at Calvary, it is about what the Father wants. It's easy for us to be consumed by our wants and to become selfish, but we can't forget that it isn't about me, it's all about Him. So many times I've had to tell students that. (laughs) It's not about you. Life is not about you. It's about the Father. So I'm telling you that, the same thing today. Life is not about you. It's about the Father. Second is this. Calvary, we must seek out God's plan for Calvary by prayer and study of the Word. God has a pretty solid plan for us. We communicate with God through prayer, and He communicates with us through His Word. And I don't know how many students have asked me, what's God's plan for my life? How do I figure out what God wants me to do? And they aren't praying, and they're not reading the Word. And it seems very simple when you put it in those terms, that He'll make those things clear when we pray and when we study the Word, but it's still, we want an easier answer. We want somebody to tell us. We want that heavenly email to to drop in our box and to be able to say, oh, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do with my life. And it doesn't end when we graduate high school or college. It's still there for for many of us trying to figure out what is the next step. And often we get stuck and we think, well, I can't figure it out, so I'm just going to ignore what God's Word says, and I'm going to ignore my quiet time, I'm going to ignore praying, but that's where we must start. So for us as a congregation, a body of believers, if we need to figure out what's next for us, we don't need to go to the the latest book, the latest fad, the the best conference, all we have to simply do is to be a people of prayer and a people of the Word. One of the things I'm so thankful for is that Pastor Kirk has pointed us in that direction, well, ever since I've been here, and I know that started well before I got here. He's been pointing us to a solid biblical foundation of the Word so that we can understand who we needed to be as a church and what we hope to accomplish. The third application, the third thing that we need to do as a body is at Calvary, we must act upon the God-given opportunities that he places before us. And as the Holy Spirit makes us aware of opportunities for gospel ministry, we should be ready to embrace what God is showing us. We can't put it off and say, well, that neighborhood, uh, there are not any people over there like us. Or, I'm fearful to be in that neighborhood. I'll be honest, I know that over the past five and a half years that I've been here, there have been some concerns. There's been a couple of shots fired in this neighborhood over the years. And when you go out and when you walk to hang door hangers or something like that, that kind of goes through your mind. But guess what? God is a God that we can trust in, that we can lean on. And if I fall in the process of doing his ministry and what he's called me to, that's where I need to be. And so we need to act upon the God-given opportunities that he places before us. Ultimately, we need to seize the opportunities that lay before us. So Calvary Church, 
and I include myself in that statement, we must make sure that our desires for Calvary are God's desires for Calvary. That it's not just what we want to see accomplished here, what we think is best, but truly what is God's will. Calvary, we must seek out God's plan for Calvary by prayer and by study of the word. And third, we must act upon the God-given opportunities that he places before us. <coughs> Back to verse 8. It says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. When God opens up an opportunity, no one can shut that. We can deny it. We can go around it. We can think that it's not for us. But if God has opened up that door, we need to step through it. So what does God have for us next to Calvary? What does he want us to do? What does he want us to accomplish? I want to challenge you and encourage you to be praying for God's will to be very clear to, to you personally, to your life group, and then for us corporately as a body. I hope that you're praying daily for our church and for the direction so that we can understand what we need to do in the days ahead to reach our neighborhoods and reach our neighbors. And God will be glorified in it all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for these letters that you have shared with the, the churches of Revelation. And Father, I, I thank you that you have given us the opportunity to find ourselves in those messages, to see what is next for us. God, I just ask that you bless us as a body of believers. Help us to be your people here. Help us to see those opportunities that you have in front of us and help us to embrace them. Ready to go forward, ready to serve you, to love you, and to share your gospel. Father, just forgive us where we fail you. In Christ and we pray. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.